when it comes to money, I think we can all agree we can never know too much. That's why you listen to podcasts like this, right? If we're being honest, we can never have too much, but we're going to focus here, my friends. According to the Society for Human Resource Management, the majority of working Americans indicate that the personalization of seminars and webinars on investing basics and financial planning is important to them. And in that same survey, my friends, they add, quote, employers would be wise to add or expand desirable benefits like financial wellness to attract and retain talent. In other words, companies need to step it up if they want to get the best people on their team. And of course, keep those people. Financial wellness strategies is the solution. We provide the top of the line financial wellness programs for employees to create financial grownups who focus on their jobs because they know they're in control of their personal finances. Learn more and get in touch at financialwellnessstrategies.com. That's financialwellnessstrategies.com. The time is now to invest in peace of mind. Welcome everyone to the Wellness for Financial Grownups podcast. I am your host, certified financial planner and author, Bobby Rebel. Hopefully you have already picked up a copy of my latest book, Launching Financial Grownups. If you have not, I'm hoping you will after today's episode because that is exactly what we are going to be talking about. But first, today's quote comes from Kelsey Ballerini, or maybe somebody else, but I heard her say it when I was watching the Today Show last week. So we're going to give her the credit, but probably a lot of people have said this. So she was talking about how she had been touring nonstop, working and traveling since last fall. And now she was going to, and here is the quote, live a life worth writing about. Live a life worth writing about. So as we head towards the end of the summer and the seasons change, that is my wish for all of us to go and live a life worth writing about, even if you don't actually write about it. Live the life that would be worth writing about, but if that's a chore for you, that's okay. Just don't do it. Let's pivot back to our guest and the focus of this podcast. There is a really common saying that I often don't buy into, and that is that people don't change. I think people do change. As a parent, I see it all the time. We are always changing. Our children are always changing. Our parents are always changing and so on as we go through life. And that is often amplified, back to the kids here, with teenagers. And yes, as a reminder, I am the parent of a 16-year-old. My guest is money expert, Adam Carroll. He is author of four Amazon bestsellers. He is a two-time TED Talk speaker with over 6 million views on YouTube. And he is also the creator of the Broke, Busted, and Disgusted documentary, which is about student debt. He is also the founder, yes, he does a lot. He is also the founder of The Shred Method, something anyone who wants to not pay a mortgage should learn about. We talked about it at the end of our interview, so make sure to listen to the very end. Adam has been in the thick of it with his three kids. He famously did a TED Talk that I referenced a moment ago. It went viral talking about the lessons learned from kids playing Monopoly when they were basically elementary school age. So that was back in 2015. So I was curious how Adam adjusted his money lessons as his kids grew up and changed and also developed very different personalities from each other and different learning styles. There is something for everyone in this interview. Here is Adam Carroll. 
Adam Carroll, you are a financial grown-up. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be here, Bobby, and uh, I'm excited about where this conversation goes. Well, the last episode was a few years ago. We'll put a link to that show. You taught, you gave a great money story about how mentorship really helped bring along your career, yeah. and we're sort of going to expand on that theme. I recently rewatched one of my favorite TED Talks, which, surprise, was yours. Um, you talk about the lessons learned. For those of you just listening, he gave a little like, you know, I don't even know what the little like- Yeah, the arm pump, the excited up. arm pump of people yeah, are watching. exactly. But anyway, yeah. it's about Monopoly and your kids and the lessons that you learned kind of from them. And I'm yeah. going to ask you in a minute to kind of fast forward to where we are now, because now they're sort of in my sweet spot, sweet spot where they're teenagers and 20-somethings and they're ready to be launched as financial grown-ups. But bring us back, give us a quick summary of that that TED Talk. Yeah, the TED Talk, uh, which happened in 2015, which seems like eons ago, was a byproduct of me being on college campuses all across the country. And I was experiencing these students who had no conscious understanding of the money decisions they were making. You know, they were borrowing money in student loans, they were spending money on credit cards, but it, was, it wasn't it was real. It was just very abstract. And I was watching my kids play Monopoly one day, Bobby. They were rolling the dice and they're moving the pieces but the money was kind of irrelevant to them. It was just slips of paper. And I thought, maybe I should meld these two worlds and bring real money into this and see if it changes the way they play. And so I did. I, I went to the bank and got $10,000 in cold, hard cash. And we played a cash game of Monopoly with my then elementary age kids. And it, it was very mind expanding for both of us, I would say, for all of us. And it was very different, very different reactions. Very different reactions. They were super conservative, which I was surprised by. I don't know what I was expecting. I knew they would play differently, but each of them has sort of a, or had at the time, a very different personality when they played Monopoly. So my daughter would always play the luck strategy for chance and community chess cards, rarely bought any property whatsoever. My uh, youngest son bought everything that he landed on with no exception. And my middle child, my oldest son, he, he was very strategic. He'd buy railroads and utilities and boardwalk and park place. But all of them started to play differently when real money was at stake. And it taught my wife and I some great lessons about how we could raise them to then ultimately launch financial grownups, to use your terminology, because I wanted them to be able to stand on their own two feet financially at 18. And I knew that that was not going to be from 17 to 18, they learned those lessons it was going to be from like age six or seven through the age of 17, we are going to prepare them for, for life beyond you know, the first national bank of mom and dad. So now you are at the time when they are ready to launch. So we're fast forwarding mm -hmm. eight years from 2015 to now we're recording this in the summer of 2023. How old are your kids and their personalities still, I assume, very different. Talk to me about yeah. what you're seeing and what strategies you're using as they get older in these sort of later teenage years to make them financial grownups. My children now are aged 20. That's my oldest, my daughter. She is going into her junior year in college. My uh, next oldest is 18. He's just about to enter school here. And actually next week, we take him to move into his dorm. And that leaves one at home who will be 16 in December. And what we've been doing to prepare them to launch financially, you know, ultimately, Bobby, they were given money as an allowance for chores done from the time we played that Monopoly game through the age of about 14 or 15. They were still expected to help around the house. 
But by 14, every, every one of them, all three of them, had more than enough money in their savings and checking accounts that they could go do what they wanted to do. They could go to games, they could go to movies, they could buy their friends gifts if they were invited to birthday parties. Basically, from you know seven or eight until 14, what we did was we taught them really solid financial habits, like delayed gratification when spending money. We taught them the intentionality of saving 10% of whatever you make. We taught them how to invest money. And I had built uh, what we called a family 401k plan, which was whatever they put into investments, we would match up to $50 a month. And the goal was to get them in the habit of putting money away and seeing it grow. And as a result, what started out as $500 in savings by the time they were nine grew to a thousand and two thousand and four thousand. And one of the things that I really hang my hat on is I told my kids from the time they were 10 or 11 that by the time you go to college, I want you to already have an MBA. And the MBA stood for a massive bank account. So we set a watermark of whatever that number was. And all three of them, well, two of them right now have hit it. And the third one who's 16 and has been working for about maybe a year, he's slowly saving to get to that point. But all three of them will leave with probably more in savings than the average American has. One of the things I try to be very honest with our audience about is that while the end result may be good, it doesn't mean that there weren't stumbling blocks along the way. Can -hmm. you share some of the setbacks and challenges that you have had that maybe make it a little more relatable? Because to me right now, this sounds great, but if I'm listening to this, I'm going, yeah, because their dad is Adam Carroll, but yeah, I right. am not a money expert. I'm barely able to manage my own money, or maybe I even can't manage my own money. Well, what yeah. do I do? Yeah. The number one thing that I tell young audiences when I talk to them, and young being could be high school or college age, could be young professionals, but I'll tell them that your money story is probably given to you by your parents, but, but your money story does not have to be their money story. And so for parents that are sort of struggling financially, what I want you to know is that your children, even from the age of five or younger, have a really, really profound sense of how money works or how, how wants work. And, and this is one of those things that I think for families with young kids has to be just absolutely drilled into their heads that there is a limit. There is a lack to the amount of money that we have. And what most parents do where they fall down is they'll take their kids to Target or to Walmart or to you know name your store, and the kid pitches a fit because they want something, and the only way they know how to get it is to pitch a fit. And so even if you have limited resources to give your child a dollar or $2 or $5 a week and say, this is your money, this is used for the things that you want not for the things you need. As your parents, we'll do our best to provide everything you need. But if you want something, that is on you. That's not on me. And in those dollar, $2, $5 increments, let your kids fall down and skin their knees. My wife and I had lots of arguments about, I would say, it's their money. They get to decide. And she'd say, I know, but it's such a dumb purchase. Why would they get you know X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, I get where, where you're coming from, but it is their money. Yeah. So- in teaching the lessons, we have to let them fall down. And I think that's the hardest part. Can you give us an example of something where you had to let them fall down and it, and you were maybe tempted to rescue them 
And maybe you did. Not that I've ever done that, of course. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're as parents, we are far from perfect. Speaking only and, for myself. You're perfect, Adam. And what is so hard is that I think as a society, we have conflated love and struggle. So we go, I love my kids, therefore I don't want them to struggle. And in reality, it really should be, I love my kids and I want them to struggle, but I want them to struggle within the confines of my safe boundary. And so some of the mistakes or the foibles, the, the fall downs we've seen are, you know, our kids will, will amass or accumulate a certain amount of money. It could be from birthday money that they're getting or, or holiday money, could be part-time jobs, but they've amassed it. And then they get really excited about the next iPhone. And so they're like, I'm going to go get the $1,200 iPhone. This is one of those where my wife said, this is ridiculous. You should not, we should not be allowing them to go get a $1,200 device. And I kept saying, it is their money though. And at some level, we need to let them do that. We have to determine how much that is. And so I kept telling my, my sons, guys, $1,400 is a lot of money. Go get the SE. Go get the lower version of the phone. Don't go after the iPhone 17 or whatever the latest one was going to be. <laughs> and by and large, they went out and they did it anyway. They said, Dad, it was a, I, I made this decision. I went out and did it. I spent the $1,200. And then the very next week, of course, my son had tire issues on his car. And so we're going, well, maybe we need to chip in. And my wife said, no, you've set the stage here. He needs to feel the pain. Again, hard lesson. And hard for a parent not to say, we'll just stroke the check for $600. But I will tell you this, my kids learn the lesson and they learn that it is necessary to have money in savings because these kind of things are going to occur. So I think the hardest part of it for parents is not to jump in and rescue when you 100% have the means to do it, but it's a really good hard lesson for the kid to learn in the moment. How does your approach change now that you have emerging adults, let's say older teenagers, yeah. a 20 something versus eight years ago in 2015, when you were doing the TED talk that the famous, by the way, the TED talk, I didn't say has more than 6 million hits, my friends, just so you know, it's not just this little one. It, it totally went viral globally, the whole thing. You know, there always been real humans, but these are adults basically with yeah. sometimes unpredictable emotional reactions. Teenagers are hard. Just speaking as the parent of a 16-year-old right now, yep. teenagers are hard. It's different. They are. And, and I will say that each one of mine are different. And I don't know, how many kids do you have, Bobby? Three. The three. youngest is 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So same here. And they yeah. always say when you have three kids, you have a leader, a lover, and a lunatic. And Do um, we? Oh my goodness. I'm going to have fun discussing this one later. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I've seen it play out in many families, whether it's, you know, I'm talking to the child who is one of three or they have children, you have three children. In my case, my daughter, who is the leader, is very good at saving and managing money. So she's very mm -hmm. frugal, like her mom. She was wired that way, loves to coupon, loves to thrift, was seeking out free things on Facebook to furnish her apartment with, which we love. We thought it was hilarious. And then my middle son, he is the saver. He does not spend money. He just, he kind of hoards it and he likes having it, but he's very intelligent about it. So he wants to invest that money and he's studying investing and all of that. And then my lunatic, the young one, he's a maker. <laughs> he makes it. He just, he, he will be in sales. He will never have a problem making money. And we're trying to teach him that you're really good at making it. Let's get really good at keeping it and really good at growing it. And so I think the difference is when they're young, 
what we're trying to do is really put the right habits in place. And as they get older, we start to say, hey, your natural skill set is you're really good at this. So leverage that, use that, employ that however you can. Keep the habits going, but know that you have a skill set there that you could you could leverage and deploy into greater things. And I think it's just the maturation. And we're seeing our kids go from skinning their knees on a $25 purchase to making really intelligent $500 and $1,000 and $5,000 purchases. And they're doing it in a very thoughtful, kind of intentional, monitored way. And I think they did that because we let them skin their knees at $25 a pop. What is one thing you wish you had done differently looking back now? Um, I did copious amounts of research into scholarships. I think I was so wrapped up in doing my own research and espousing what I knew about scholarships to the general public that I didn't do an effective enough job with my kids of drilling it into their heads. This is what we're going to do to pay for school. And for the parents out there that have a 529 plan, or you've got savings, or you've told your kids, hey, don't worry about college money, we'll, we'll pay for it. I think at some level, students have to know that some of that financial onus is on them. And then there's got to be this motivation to go find free money because it's plentiful. You know, there's allegedly $8 billion that goes unclaimed every year in scholarships. I did not do enough of sitting my kids down and saying, it's scholarship Saturday for the next hour. We're working on this. You're going to gripe. You're going to complain, but you're going to love it when at the end of your college career, all that 529 money is going into a 401k for you. I, I wish we would have done that. And you're referring to a recent change in the law, which is really exciting. It used to be a lot of people were hesitant to put money into a 529 because it was sort of stuck there in a, in a silo. And now there's other options, which is another episode. Maybe we'll do a newsletter on that. But it's a really interesting point. Lots of options when you have money in a 529 that did not exist until recently. So thanks for bringing that up. So I do want to, before we wrap up, I know that you have a really cool um, perspective on interest rates and mortgages and debt because interest yeah. rates... They stink right now, Adam. It's terrible. And I know a lot of people are interested in not having a mortgage at the current rates. We don't have time to go too much into depth, into depth, not de depth on this topic. But I just briefly tell us, you've got something called the Shred Method. Yeah, this is basically, it's a piece of software. It's a course that we've created in addition in a community of people who basically said, I don't want to have a mortgage for the rest of my life. I don't want a 30-year fixed. I want to get it paid off much, much faster. And so what we do is we teach people how to create efficiency with their income and blast away debt in record time. Record time for most of our clients is somewhere between three and seven years where they could have everything taken care of, mortgage included. The reason I'm so passionate about it is my wife and I did this in 20, uh, 2012. And we started the process with about a $300,000 mortgage we blasted it away in 3.7 years. And from that point forward, realized the power of having liquidity in our home, you know, in the way of equity, mm -hmm. but really the power of discretionary income at a high level. And you are able to build real wealth in short order when you minimize the amount of money that's going out in interest expense on debt. And so we're teaching people how to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Where can people find you and learn more about all things Adam Carroll? All things Adam Carroll. They live at adamcarroll.info. That's two R's, two L's, adamcarroll.info. And if the shred method is at all intriguing to anyone looking to just blast away debt, 
uh, you can go to theshredmethod.com for more info. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Bobby. We all want to live our best financial grown-up lives. One way to do that is to know that the people that we care about are also in a good place when it comes to their money. That might mean our kids, our grandkids, and yes, even our friends. But how? I mean, it's kind of awkward. You see them struggling, pretending to know more than they do, or just making bad money decisions, but you don't know what to say. And even if you say something supportive, then what? That's why I wrote Launching Financial Grownups. In Launching Financial Grownups, I share the tools and strategies so you know what to say to take the pressure off and give those you love the confidence they need. It's all about giving those we care about the right amount of help at the right time so they can not only learn what they need to know about being financial grownups, but also be confident that they can do it and that you will be there to cheer them on. Pick up a copy of my book, Launching Financial Grownups. I promise you'll be so happy that you did. So my friends, I think for our extra credit assignment this week, I'm going to ask everyone to think about how they have been influenced by family or friends from other generations. And if there is an opportunity, try to have a conversation and ask them about the big money related decisions that they have made in life. So for example, if you are thinking about buying a home, ask someone from an older generation about their experiences buying or maybe selling a home. Not only the financial aspects, but also the emotional and lifestyle change experiences. Or maybe ask someone about their experiences with debt and how they managed it or how they still manage it. And don't be afraid to have a conversation with people that maybe aren't all that good with money. We all learn from each other and trust me, not one of us gets it right all of the time. It's about managing the realities that we face and not wishing our realities were different all the time. I love hearing from all of you. So follow me and DM me on Instagram at BobbyRebel1. Let's continue the conversation. Sign up for more financial wellness perspectives on my newsletter, bobbyrebel.substack.com. It is totally free, as are the show notes for this podcast. Those are available on my website, bobbyrebel.com. Just look for the podcast tab and go down from there. You can also sign up for my newsletter there and get links to all those things in the show notes. Be in touch if I can be helpful with financial wellness events or author talks. More info on my company website for that. That is financialwellnessstrategies.com. Or you can always email me, bobby at financialwellnessstrategies.com. Big thanks to money expert Adam Carroll for helping us all be financial grownups and invest in peace of mind. Wellness for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, social media support, and show notes by Ali Bourbon. Artwork by Chelsea Perez. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned on the show, as well as show transcripts by going to my website, bobbyrebel.com. To get even more out of this podcast, make sure you are also on our newsletter list to get more free content to live your best financial grown-up lives. There is a link in the show notes, but you can also sign up by going to bobbyrebel.com or financialwellnessstrategies.com and be a friend. Share the podcast with your friends and anyone you think might like it by taking a screenshot and sharing it on social media. Make sure to tag me on Instagram at bobbyrebel1. While you're there, follow me. If you DM me that you listen to the podcast, I will follow you back. 
You can also leave a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And please support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. Finally, my grown-up friends, don't forget to invest in peace of mind. Thanks, everyone.